The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. New Packers coach Matt LaFleur makes his first big hire and it is at offensive coordinator. How do you feel about Nathaniel Hackett? We polled you guys and we'll get your reaction and ours. It is the APC podcast here at AcmeyPackingCompany.com, part of SB Nation, talking Packers all of the time at the APC pod on Twitter is where you can find us there. The APC podcast at gmail.com for long form nonsense. I am Zach Rapport holding it down, a lonely man in an apartment in Queens. Ben Foldy is knee deep in a new job, so he's out this week, but a game time decision, feeling a little under the weather through the uh, magic telephone machine. I am joined by Alex Patakis. Alex, how are you doing? I wish I was doing a little bit better. I could join you in person and not compromise the uh, audio quality of this podcast, but I've been quarantined to my lonely apartment in Brooklyn. I've actually been sleeping on the couch the last three nights, and I've grown quite used to it. It's very, it's kind of comforting in a weird way. This might, uh, maybe that's a, a new arrangement you'll get used to as you head into married life. <laughs> yeah, I think my fiance <laughs> is liking it a little bit too much. Uh, she kind of walks out and struts like Deion Sanders in the morning almost bragging at like the great night of sleep that she got but uh i think maybe i've got one more on the couch before i can uh be allowed back in we'll see yeah you're going on uh is this month three of being sick you seem like you've been sick for a while man <laughs> yeah really i mean last week i felt good and then i guess another weekend of mistreating the body uh even though i didn't really do much um but yeah it's just that time of year you know and bronchitis is a bitch isn't it like there's nothing you can really do except wait it out yeah so what i'm doing yeah new york is not kind to the immune system in general and especially especially in the winter but let's get down to football business it's been a few weeks since we last talked and uh since we last talked the floor you can hear the music this time yeah this time i can oddly enough when i was in the studio setting i couldn't oh matt lefleur we had music we had an intro press conference we had an intro press conference with uh, the big Irish goofball and uh, Brian Gutekunst, GM, sandwiching Matt LaFleur, new Packers head coach in between. I felt kind of sorry for him in that press conference, but uh, that happened since we last recorded. And I was wondering, uh, you know, we uh, we haven't done note nugs in a while because we usually don't do them in the off season. But um, this is, you know, it's a unique opportunity. First impressions of our new head coach at the microphone. Um 
What were you? Did you? Do you have a a, a note nug? Some kind of takeaway from that press press conference? Maybe not even Lafleur, but the whole thing in general. Well, you know, Matt Lafleur. Uh, it's kind of like anything. Uh, <laughs> hey, <Hey-oh. laughs> we got uh, it. I just I just miss it so much. Yeah. I feel like my Lafleur impression is just going to have to be McCarthy saying the things that Lafleur says. Like the Packers coach will never sound any different to me. Yeah. Um. Uh. Well, a couple of things. I think the the obvious one. Um was just that you know and, and the and the worthwhile one to talk about i think uh certainly i feel like it's a little bit bigger than a note nug perhaps but the the whole um matt lafleur maybe like sharing a little too much about aaron Rodgers and then getting walked back by uh both mark murphy and uh goody yeah uh, they almost pretty, like pretty if, emphatically if they could have ripped the mic away from him they might have done it at that moment <laughs> yeah uh could have been the shortest uh lived head coach maybe ever um, even shorter than Josh McDaniels, perhaps, uh, with the Colts, because um, it sounded like, and and I and I believe Lafleur's version of the story completely, that um, that Aaron Rodgers had placed a call to Lafleur, probably when the Packers had maybe told him that Lafleur is a serious candidate who'd be moving on, perhaps even a guy they would be looking into hiring, uh, and we know this because Lafleur said that he felt pretty good about his chances when he heard from Aaron Rodgers. And then they kind of then just immediately interrupted him and tried to say, well, no, you know, that's not how he found out he was getting the job. Uh, this was a call that was placed after a decision was already made, yada, yada. Uh, that's certainly not the case. I think Gutekunst uh, like cut him off, cut off Matt LaFleur and, and said something like, basically, like, to be clear, you know, we had Aaron reach out to him after the decision was made, which totally contradicts as far as the timeline goes. Yeah. And if that is their story, then I would say, okay, I guess they're not wrong to do so, but they should probably be better at communicating because if you (laughs) are prepared to offer a guy a job, you should remember to tell him that before your quarterback uh, calls him. Right. So like either way, I think they look a little bit silly, but it's not really a big deal because ultimately I think it's something that at least I, and, and I think maybe you, when we had that conversation um, about whether or not the Packers should involve Aaron Rodgers to some degree, um, it's clear that they did, uh, at least in some measure. Yeah. To, you know, maybe, uh, again, I, I said it was something that needed to be done to create buy-in up front. Um, and if that is literally as he's about to get the job, then I consider that to be pretty upfront. So I'm cool with it. Yeah, if it if it means that if if all of that, rolls up to Aaron Rodgers is happy with the decision, then I'm happy with the decision. But you, you said something about Gutekunst and Murphy kind of not being, and, and Lafleur as well, not being on the, on the same page there as far as the messaging of that. And I think, and you said maybe that's not a big deal, but I think that points to uh, something else that I wanted to sort of make my note nug. The power structure there. I want to revisit the idea of the power structure because uh, Mark Murphy you know, had the opportunity at this press conference, and I actually want to credit John Muirdink, who, who pointed this out recently on his pod as well, but, but I thought of it as well as soon as I saw it happen on the presser. Mark Murphy did not give back the reins of power to, to Brian Gutekunst. That, that press conference was the moment, I thought, and I, I had talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago on the pod. I thought, oh, maybe they'll make this coaching hire, and then Mark Murphy will sort of step back and say, okay, now this power structure has has served its purpose and I can sort of hand back 
the uh, the the reins of overseeing the football side of the operation to the football guy I hired in Brian Gutekunst, but that didn't happen. Mark Murphy made it perfectly clear, and he was because he was asked directly about it that the power structure would remain as is, and I, and I don't know. I don't. I don't. I've said it before on the show. I don't think that he's power hungry. And I do think that he wants to do the right thing. But as you can probably tell from the setup here and the tone of my voice, I'm not sure that the right thing is, you know, not letting your football people make the football decisions. I just thought that was the time when that could have happened and it didn't happen. I was disappointed to hear that. Yeah. I don't really understand it either. I mean, you've, you've gone through, you've kind of, you know, had the search and you, you hired your guy. And he certainly, I, I think, said a couple of things in the press conference, too, to make it feel like uh, Gutekunst was very much on board with LaFleur and kind of almost a driving force in the hire. Yeah. So at that point, you would almost hope, OK, well, now you can kind of hand football back to football people and uh, be done with it. Because, um, I don't know, I guess it makes me wonder why this whole structure existed in the first place. The power arrangement as it is, it just feels weird and unnecessary and murky and why would you mess with you know a formula that had been working right yeah and and now especially the people working under him now in very prominent roles are young inexperienced people in terms of coaches in terms of some front office people um and it just feels like he he feels like he has to do something so he's trying things murphy uh, but i don't think he knows what he's doing because um, hiring a head coach at a university and, you know, hiring a couple of other, you know, athletic program people, whatever, is not the same as running an NFL franchise. So uh, I, I, I still think maybe he has good intentions, but he probably just has no clue what's going on because he was kept in the dark for a really long time. Yeah, I think he has good intentions. I do think, you know, people make fun of him when he says he's a football guy. I do think he's a football guy, but he doesn't work in a football job and he's inserted himself into a football job and i think you know i think we all think rather needlessly but you know we could talk about this all day and i'm sure we'll talk about it all off season but let us move on um to a quick update on the the coaching staff as that takes shape under new head coach matt lafleur uh the mccarthy era has come to an end and sort of we're sort of cycling through some of those getting some of those coaches out retaining some but uh but but getting out others. So let's just bring the listeners up to date and do a, a quick rundown. Firstly, of the the coaches so far who, who have been retained. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, but as complete as as I, I could make on the fly here. Mike Pettin, most importantly, defensive coordinator, is now confirmed coming back. It's a little bit of old news uh, at this point. Defensive line coach Jerry Montgomery also coming back. Running backs coach Ben Sim, uh, Sermons. Confirmed coming back. Tight ends coach Brian Angeliki Angelicio. Not sure how you pronounce. <laughs> I'm never sure how you pronounce his name. He's coming back. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe he's maybe he's a good coach. I don't know. The Packers have had underwhelming tight end play for a number of years, but uh, maybe that has more to do with the parts to work with than it does with the coach. But I think more importantly, uh, Alex, what I want to focus on is the coaches who are not coming back. So quickly, Joe Philbin appears to be gone. Quarterbacks coach uh, Signetti is gone. Thank goodness. Uh, Patrick Graham, the defensive run game coordinator, is rumored 
out to Miami, I think. And uh, really notably, and this is where we'll pause and talk for a while, Joe Witt Jr. and James Campen, two, uh, two guys that, that we thought we expected the Packers to keep, that we thought there was a, a good case for them. They are good coaches. They've been around uh, a long time. Joe Witt, D, uh, Joe Witt Jr., the defensive pass game coordinator. James Campen, a very well-respected offensive line coordinator. Actually, I believe he even predates McCarthy in Green Bay. Both of them gone, and I believe both of them at this point have gone to the um, the Cleveland Packers, I mean Cleveland Browns, yeah. um, as they assemble their sort of Green Bay East team. I was shocked by both these names. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little shocked. I think some people were very upset. I guess I'm a little less upset at the idea of them not being around. And look, I, I mean, Joe Witt Jr., I think it, from the way players talk about him from the way media talks about him from all the stories we read about what he did and kind of their philosophy of taking corners who didn't play corner, you know, turning them into something, not having to break bad habits. Um, that was all really good stuff. And it was really feel good when Tremont Williams, a undrafted free agent and Sam Shields, a seventh round draft pick and all these guys were producing and, and ultimately helping them win a Super Bowl. Um, but I, I guess I'm a little bit surprised at how, you know, the, the, the Packers have been doomed for uh, really since they've won the Super Bowl in large part because of their uh, lack of production, lack of talent development at the corner position, um, which maybe safe from this year, which Jair Alexander has been pretty, I don't know, abysmal. So I'm not going to like be up in arms about that guy not coming back. Like yeah. He, yeah, I know a lot of it was, you know, we like to blame Dom Capers on a difficult scheme and that they always had young guys in that scenario. But, um, you know, they, they indrift, invested their first two draft picks of a, of a draft that is now almost an entire waste of a draft in corners that ultimately didn't really pan out um, and that fit that mold. And it is also uh, up to the position coaches. You know, if the scheme from the coordinator is complicated, part of that falls on the position coaches to make that, you know, learnable for their, you know, for their players. Yeah, totally. I, I think Joe Witt had some really big hits and big wins and really good success stories. No doubt. With some really good players. But um, I think expecting him to take the the guy who doesn't have experience playing corner and turning him into a corner every time, it's unre- it, he didn't live up to an unrealistic expectation. Just put it that way. Yeah. So if somebody else is going to come in and coach in the secondary that – uh, probably has a little bit easier time and, you know, is taking players who played corner and kind of continuing that education, like, so be it. Um, so I, I, that one, I'm not, I guess I'm just not as sad about it. Like yeah. there needed to be changed. Like how, how many defensive guys do we want to hold on to when every year the problem is their defense sucks? Yeah. And one of the things that Murphy said in that, uh, LaFleur, intro presser was that they, they were trying to, you know, the, the players said, the sort of leadership council said that they felt that there wasn't enough accountability from the previous coaching staff and players, but also the coaching staff. And that was something that they were looking for in new coaches. So I think some of these coaches that they're letting go, and Joe Witt Jr. is an example of these, are like the, you know, they're McCarthy, <laughs> the McCarthy era coaches. And so maybe that says something about, you know, maybe there were players that said, you know, this is a position group that was not held accountable enough for bad play. And and actually, as I'm saying it out loud, I know that to be true over the last few years. I mean, you know, Demarius Randall comes to mind. 
Right. Yeah. So and Joe Witt will now probably get to coach him in in Cleveland and and have a time. Yeah. You know. And I think they'll succeed, and I think they'll do really well. Yep. I don't know why they just didn't hire McCarthy if they're going to go this far, like basically <laughs> yeah. bring in all these guys who have been tied to McCarthy for a decade. Maybe they were just like, um, you know, that's a little too on the nose. Yeah, like uh, it's too obvious. Like, yeah. Okay, maybe after week five, or Kitchens gets fired or something. <laughs> uh, but um, and and with Campin too, uh, Packers have again some ridiculous success stories. Campin, I guess I feel a little bit more for. Yeah. Because the Packers made this organizational decision to just not give a shit about the interior offensive line for a really long time and got away with it um, because a lot of guys would step up. Um, but, you know, they, they've had some, some pretty glaring lack of development at that position too, because it rears its ugly head every time Brian Belaga gets hurt. And we laugh at the idea of a Jason Spriggs protecting an Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of high draft capital guys that are now kind of names we mention and laugh about. Yeah. Um, on the Packers who are still lingering around the Packers, even on the roster, hanging on uh, by a thread that were these guys responsibilities to develop. And, you know, some of it's on Ted and not recognizing maybe that they, they aren't uh, actually great talents. And yeah. some of it's on the guys who are tasked with bringing that talent out of them. So I get it. I want to, I want to turn uh, your attention and the, the listener's attention to an article that justice Mosqueda, an article that he wrote for optimum scouting sort of, trying to quantify in a metric space way sort of the success rate of offensive line coaches how much they matter you know to the success of of that team's offensive line and i thought he did a really thorough job i encourage everyone to check it out in fact um i'll make sure to after this episode drops to tweet out a link to it but so campen you know is well respected he came in number 14 on that list of i think four, 34 names this year that were offensive line coordinators um or offensive line coaches uh, he came in 14th, which is, you know, it's not bad. It's solid, but there are better names out there and a few of them are actually available. So this could be a, an opportunity for the Packers to actually upgrade from, you know, a position where they already had a good coach to a better coach. Two of those names that, that come to mind, I don't know if you know anything about these people, but uh, Dave DeGuglielmo, I think I said that right, uh, is the the Colts or was the the Colts offensive line coach. We saw massive improvements in, in their line throughout the year this season. He came in ranked number 12th on just on Justice's list. Um, but just after the news that he was on the market dropped, Frank Polak, the offensive line coach of the Bengals, became in need of a job. He's number five on that list. Um, do you know anything about those players? What do you think about the, cha- the Packers' chances of, of nabbing someone who's actually better than Campen? Yeah, I think it would be an interesting move, uh, you know, to to be able to upgrade there. I mean, the Colts' offensive line was was ridiculous this year. I mean, uh, for Andrew Luck to to barely get touched, you know, throughout the course of the season as he did. I mean, we saw just how dangerous that made them. So um, I think, yeah, I mean, as evidenced by by that piece, if you can if you can quantify a, a position coach's uh, value, um, which again, it's a you know, it's a nice thing to try to be able to do. I, there's there's upgrades to be had out there. I guess I just want to go back to an overall point uh, because I feel like I could have said all of this in like one sentence. If you're going to move on from the McCarthy era, you got to move on from the McCarthy era. Yeah. And I think to retain those guys just because they had success in the past, it'd be the same as retaining McCarthy. So did he. 
Like if he were gone and he's looking and half of his assistants are being retained, then what's the point of getting a new coaching staff to begin with? You know, like if you're going to move on, sometimes you have to move on. That means moving on from more than just the head coach. It's a lot of other guys that you like, but it's just necessary. Yeah, I totally agree. And speaking of moving on, let us now move on to the biggest bit of news. And that is Nathaniel Hackett is the is the new offensive coordinator, Matt LaFleur's uh, first big hire. And uh, we asked you guys out there how you felt about this hire. And I'll, I'll read those poll results and I'll, then I'll pose the same question to you, Alex. You know, we we put out on Twitter uh, we actually did the same thing two weeks ago when they hired LaFleur, but the Packers just hired Nathaniel Hackett as their non-play calling offensive coordinator. And that makes me feel blank. Great, fine, not good, or shrug emoji. And actually, I kind of think that the, the, the more I think about this poll, there's a lot of overlap, I think, emotionally between fine and shrug emoji. <laughs> so it kind of makes sense that they both make up the, the largest percentage of, of respondents here. But we had about uh, 1,200 uh, replies, 45% of respondents say they feel eh, fine with this hire. And then 33% is shrug emoji, which is mm, basically, I don't know, only 16% said great. Um, and only 6% said, said not good. I was surprised that number wasn't higher. Um, but not surprised at the overall trend of the results of this poll. Alex, what, what do you think? Nathaniel Hackett, as offensive coordinator, that makes you feel blank. Um, I mean, some either shrug emoji or fine, whichever one has less votes, I'll vote for just to pull it even closer. <laughs> in the, shrug in emoji, the it is. You are nothing if not consistent. Uh, yeah, I'll go shrug emoji on that one. And it's not a shrug emoji in a way that's like, um, you know, I, I, I don't come into it. I, first, I want to say that uh, there's a lot of things that I like about it. You know, I'll go shrug emoji because. I can't say for certain I think it's going to work out. Yep. can't say for certain this guy is great. Um, but, I mean, I, I like that he's young. I know that sounds really stupid. And we keep talking about, oh, this guy, you know, LaFleur is young. He's good looking. Oh, Hackett's young. but Ageism. Again, blatant ageism. <laughs> well, it's a trend in the NFL, the copycat league, right? I mean, like, get new ideas, guys who have seen some things. And boy, has Nathaniel Hackett seen some things. Yeah, um, I mean, Let's pause for a moment on that and, and talk for just list off for a second. The quarterbacks that he has seen, which is Blake Bortles, EJ Manuel, Kyle Orton, something called a Jeff tool and uh, and a few others. I mean, Kyle Orton, I feel like, is the most starter worthy out of any of those quarterbacks. He's basically, you know, he's he's had nothing to work with. Completely. I mean, his entire history, even going back to when I think he was like a uh, quality control guy uh, in Tampa under John Gruden, they didn't even have quarter. They had Bruce. I'm, I'm reading a, a Tex Western's piece of Corporate Overlord. He wrote about like the complete history of Hackett. Uh, Bruce Gradkowski, Tim Rattay. I mean, like it's like Tim this guy Rattay. is allergic. This guy has been deprived of competent quarterback yeah. play his entire career. Uh, save for his time in Syracuse with Ryan Nassib, who was actually a decent college quarterback. Um, so, I mean, I, I saw a lot of debate about this. Like, uh, you know, just because a guy has been able to have some success um, with some bad quarterbacks, you know, via the running game, doesn't mean he's going to be able to coach a quarterback. Yeah. I guess if I had to spin this positively, uh, I would say that 
um, to be able to have it, you know, one, Blake Bortles, two, a pretty injured offensive skill position set uh, in 2017 with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Don't forget, uh, when they were playing in that AFC Championship game, Allen Robinson had missed most of the year with an injury. They had a lot of different guys who were actually pretty good. I mean, it was a it was an offense that was made up of Blake Bortles, but not just that. You know, he's throwing a D.D. Westbrook and, like, you know, a couple other guys who are, you know, you know, nothing with nothing. You know, Keelan Cole. Like, I mean, these aren't these aren't Devontae Adams uh, type of players. Um, and they were the fifth best scoring offense in the league. They're not even Geronimo you know? Allison type of players. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, they're, they're at, at, at best Geronimo Allison. Um, so he's coached around limitations. Now, you could say, like, well, that's totally different than coaching a guy who has very little limitations. But, I mean, you should deserve some – you get some credit for, for getting the fifth-ranked scoring offense. Yeah. With Blake Bortles at the helm, um, and and again, you know, offensive numbers are skewed by how good their defense was. I totally understand that, but I would also just like to say, Zach, just to kind of wrap up this point, I don't mind having a guy who's got experience coaching a quarterback with limitations, because there's going to come a time soon where Aaron Rodgers' limitations are going to set in. Yep. Like I know that Tom Brady seems ageless. There are limitations there, but guess what? The Patriots cover them up so damn well that it doesn't feel like it. Yep. And I guarantee you, Aaron Rodgers' body is going to fail him. And when that happens, I want him still producing at a very, very high level for this team. And I think that is when having guys who coach not the best talent and super are super reliant on them, but allow that talent to be reliant on them as coaches to, to help them fit into a scheme without being superhuman. That's when you're really tested. And he's proven he can do that. And he's proven he can do it with the running game, too. And if this means that the Packers run a little bit more, I'm not saying take the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, but you've got two pretty good running backs. Yeah. The whole point of the whole McCarthy thing was don't make Aaron do everything. Like, damn it, McCarthy. Why does Aaron have to do everything? So I would like a guy who's so used to doing everything himself because his quarterback sucks to kind of meet Aaron in the middle here. So, if I, again... It may sound like an overly optimistic and overly positive spin on it, but I'm not going to hold the, the the quarterbacks that he had to coach against him because that is not his fault. Yeah, and I, I think to to put a finer point on on what you just said, and I couldn't agree more. A, a word that comes to mind for me is adaptable, and you know, you mentioned you know Aaron Rodgers his his skill set is going to change the way that he needs to play the game is going to change over the next, you know, three to six, however many years he has left, it's going to change. And you need to have a coaching staff that is prepared to cater to those changes. That wasn't going to be Mike McCarthy, a guy who admittedly like revisits the playbook every four years. I think he said he's so systematic and sometimes a franchise needs that they need a program builder who, who is very deliberate and calculated and and stays the course and stays on message but that isn't this team anymore they need someone they need people who on a yearly and in fact sometimes a monthly or even weekly basis can say you know who do we have available how can we get it done this week how can we get it done this month so i think that uh, in that way i'm as well optimistic about hackett um he is part of the uh, i guess what some people would call the Bill the Bill Walsh West Coast offense philosophy, which differs a little bit from Matt Lafleur, but I think that is as well. 
Lafleur kind of challenging himself to pool ideas and again be adaptable. Yeah, completely. And it's not like you know he found success. Like I would like new ideas in the running game because the funny thing about the 2017 Jaguars is okay. He was coaching. You know they ran the ball a lot because Bortles sucks. Everyone knew the run was coming. They still couldn't stop it. Yeah. You know, imagine Aaron Rodgers with an actual fierce running attack that isn't just used to kind of you know provide some balance. You know, give the offensive lineman a break but something that's a true weapon. We're talking about a Jaguars offense that went to Pittsburgh and hung 45. Well, their defense scored a touchdown in that game. But in a divisional playoff game, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger threw five touchdowns and lost to the Jags 45-42. Yeah. That's like, you know, it, when when you look at the personnel the Jaguars had, that's a coaching masterpiece, man. Did you read the piece from Michael Cohen about uh, in The Athletic about him? Uh, a coach that he had worked with or a player, I'm actually not sure. Uh, referred to him as a, a mad scientist, quote unquote. And I don't know, it was, I encourage everyone to, to, to look that up, theathletic.com. Michael Cohen uh, put out a piece. And, and the, what I took away from that is Hackett is someone who loves to constantly tinker with the offense and again, be adaptable. He's someone who they call him the mad scientist because he literally will, you know, close the door and sit in the dark in the film room and like go, go to the whiteboard and just go away for days at a time trying to figure out you know, how to exploit a defense. And, you know, I, I don't think we should hold it against him that he had to do that with EJ Manuel and Kyle Orton and, and Blake Bortles. I think if anything, we have, so if we have someone who's so willing to put in the time and energy and understand the importance of constantly changing. Um, and again, that is also a theme that Lafleur has touched on in his brief couple of interviews uh, after taking the job here in Green Bay is that idea of constantly changing. If you're not constantly changing, you're just getting worse. Um, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's, I, I feel positive. I'm going to go shrug emoji to tie it back to our poll um, just because we obviously just don't know. And it's very on brand for, for us on the APC pod to play it straight down the middle and manage expectations. But I don't know. I, I feel good about it. Yeah. I, I do too. And I think there's somebody on the APC Slack, or maybe it was on Twitter, pointed out he likes to curse. That's another big <laughs> one for me. I love that. And maybe he's our guy that we'll uh, be able to imitate uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the fake press conference. Yeah, we need, we need some personality. I guess maybe, you know, you, when you're working on your Lafleur personality, you kind of, there's like a vocal, a little bit of a, a, fr- a fry crack. There's a stammering that sort of happens. And, uh, Reportedly, he's not like that behind closed doors. The players really love him. He really connects with them. But uh, yeah, on the microphone, he is hard to <laughs> imitate. Um, I would I would say that uh, uh, I believed him after his first 30 seconds of speaking that this truly was his dream job because I have never seen someone look so nervous yeah, to be right? introduced as the next head coach of a team. Yeah, it's funny. He told that story about being speechless when he got the call. I'm like, oh, you're still kind of speechless because you're putting words <laughs> yeah. together, but it's not necessarily coming across like someone who is, uh, you know, speaking, speaking in real time. But uh, that's going to do it for us speaking in real time on the APC podcast. Alex, uh, thanks for making some time and, and calling in uh, bronchial infection and all. I appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing it and steering the ship. Shout out to better and better at every week. Oh, thank you. I try. I do try. And a shout out to to uh, Ben Foley, who again is knee deep in work, and uh, we'll get him back on as soon as things settle down there. 
He's covering real life things, people, with consequences. It's true. He's over at Bloomberg. Can we say that? Uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I'll ask him and then maybe I'll edit it out. Um, yeah, that's going to do it. We got some uh, playoff football here, yada, yada, who cares? Conference championships, <laughs> then a Super Bowl. Lots of offseason left for the Packers. We are going to be there every step of the way. Draft season is coming up, going to come up before we know it, the combine, all that fun stuff. And then the game of groans, all the storylines that we love and loathe from the offseason are all ahead of us. So keep it locked in to acmepackingcompany.com and the APC podcast at the APC pod on Twitter. The APC podcast at gmail.com at Zach Rapport at Alex Patakis at Ben Foldy. Subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating, all that fun stuff. Okay. I'm almost out of breath and we're almost out of Poco. We will see you guys real soon. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. So you listen to podcasts, check it out.